Welcome to Soft Landing, the podcast that makes interior design accessible to everyone. Hey guys, I'm Amy. I'm an interior designer, artist, and space planner. I'm here to talk about everything you need to know about interior design, from furniture to finances. I'm sharing over a decade of experience to help you find real design solutions and craft the space of your dreams. Welcome everyone, and thank you so much for joining me on this inaugural episode of Soft Landing. This podcast is dedicated to making interior design accessible to everyone. Right now, more than ever, interior design shapes our worlds. Our homes affect how efficiently we function, our sense of joy, and how we see ourselves. A professional interior designer will help their client navigate the design process. They help them set realistic goals, stick to a budget, and work through complex problem-solving issues that make the end result a space that looks, feels, and functions in a manner that is very custom-suited to the client's needs. My goal is to reach any person who wants to have a beautiful living space and might not be able to work directly with an interior designer for a variety of reasons. If you decide that you want to take agency over your space, but you feel a little overwhelmed by all the decisions and choices, then I'm here to help. Now, there are a lot of shows about interior design and a whole world of DIY videos, but this podcast is really different. I love watching DIY home improvement shows. They're really entertaining, and they usually have great before and afters. But I think that Looking to a home improvement show to really get a sense of how to have a great space is similar to watching a reality show like The Bachelor and looking to it on how to have a really great relationship. And that's not a dig on anyone. I love home improvement shows. I love The Bachelor. I love healthy relationships. But most of all, I love beautiful spaces and I want to help you get one. And I want to help everyone understand all of the different decisions that go into making a space great and how to really be your own conductor of a beautiful symphony of space. Getting started with an interior design project can feel like a gigantic task. And so I thought we'd take today to start at the very beginning and dig through that very important question, where do I start? So many of us have to-do lists, endless Pinterest pages, and ideas floating around in our minds. But what allows us to make the leap into action and actually change the spaces we live in to match the visions in our mind's eye? The answer might seem a little dry and boring compared to the thrill of selecting upholstery fabrics, but I'm telling you, if you get this first step solid, there's nothing you can't accomplish. The answer, of course, is goal setting. When we are able to get clear and specific about our goals, then and only then can we move forward with ideas and visions for our space with an intentional and meaningful attitude. So let's talk about it. Goal setting is the often overlooked first step in the design process that happens long before any thoughts about color, floor tile, or how to arrange a bookshelf start to percolate. When I'm working one-on-one with a client, 
I take them through a series of exercises that help set their goals. Both conscious and unconscious things come to the surface. And you can do this too on your own with a few simple suggestions that I'm going to give you today. Goal setting is super important because as you move through the design process, it can be long and detailed and frankly tricky to navigate. You need a roadmap to make sure you stay on course. You need a beacon to keep your eye on moving forward and to help you not get tripped up on all of the little things. By having clearly defined goals, you can refer back to these things as design principles, and that will help you make any decision with care and purpose. So let's dive in. Before we even get into dreaming of changes and designs for the new space, before we even get started pinning up a storm, we have to decide who's going to be making the decisions here. So this exercise is called the design committee and it's crucial because when you're making decisions about your living space literally everyone who comes into your space is going to have an opinion and if you let yourself be swayed by everyone's opinion you'll constantly be second guessing yourself and ultimately it will affect how happy you are with the outcome of your new space so we're going to make some lists and you can do this on your phone, uh, you could do it on your computer, but I like to kick it old school and get out a pencil and paper, or something to write with, because we're going to make some columns. So we're going to make four columns. The first column, write down a list of the names of everyone who comes into your space and think about it on an everyday basis and then zoom out so who comes in on a weekly basis, every couple of months, a few times a year. Think about the people you invite over for your annual Halloween party. Write them all down, every single person. Friends, family, neighbors, clients, if you work from home. Once you've got all of these names written out, in the second column, next to each name, I want you to write a number between one and five. So we're ranking them, right? And one is the lowest, five is the highest, and what we're ranking them on is how much you care about what they think of your space. Now, take a little bit of time with this because it's easy to say that you don't care what people think, but if you visualize a situation where your space is completely done and your sister-in-law comes over and makes some weird comment about a painting that you have hung up, think about how that'll make you feel. Maybe you don't care, but it might actually really hurt your feelings. I think it's also important to consider which people will have an effect on particular spaces, but not others. So if you work from home and you have clients come over, you might care what they think of your home office and maybe the bathroom because those are the spaces they're going to be in. But you don't really care what they think about your kitchen or your bedroom because they're never going to be there. So take that into consideration as well. In the third column, write down why you gave the number you gave to each person. Again, thinking about where these people may be, how they interact with the space, but you really want to extract what your true feelings are for these people. 
It's super important that you get really clear on the effect that the people in your life have on you. And this applies to both people you've ranked high and low. So feel free to get very detailed about what you would feel if you received a criticism about your space from this person. And conversely, also what you would feel if you received praise from this person. How important is that to you? So based on all of this, in the fourth column, what you're going to do is write down next to each name, yes or no. And the question that that answers is, do I want to include this person in my design process? When you've completed all four columns, you'll have a few takeaways. So you'll have this matrix that is giving you a really clear breakdown of why some people's opinions matter and while others don't. If you do this exercise and you decide that you actually don't care that much what your best friend thinks of your space because you've decided that the priority is creating a space that your kids are going to be really happy with, then when your friend comes over and maybe gives you shade about the new sofa you bought, you have an internal validation that while you love your friend and they're entitled to their own opinion, it's not going to make you question your decision because the space isn't for them. It's for your kids, right? So for those people that you identify in your matrix as people you want on your design committee, those are the people whose opinions truly matter and who you'll want to consult throughout the design process. This is great because it might just be you. <laughs> But it may also include family members, your partner, your children, your best friend. And this is important because it's creating an environment for you to think about the approach you want to take with your design, whether you're simply buying a new headboard or doing a complete gut renovation. You understand, is this going to be a consensus built project? Or do you want to take the reins and let everyone else involved know you've got it covered? Either way can work, depending on the dynamic of the people involved. But be realistic about your situation. If you have a lot of people on your shortlist for the design committee, take some time to whittle it down to no more than five people. Five is really the absolute maximum for key decision makers. In some instances, there might be someone who needs to act as a tiebreaker, which is why having an odd number is always a good tactic. But make sure to let each member of your design committee know why you want their feedback, which you've already figured out in column three, and how important their opinion is to you. You also will want to be clear about what you're expecting from them, how much of their time and brain power you need. You may only want to review major decisions and milestones with them, or you may want one or two of them to come with you on all of your shopping trips. The point is that you can get clear cut guidelines and boundaries around who gets a vote and who is just a heckler. So, that was some hard work, right? So the next exercise is going to be a little bit more of a fun break, and it's really much more focused on creativity and visualizing your space and your style. And I like to call this exercise the story of us. So in your existing space, 
ideally with the members of your newly formed design committee, take some time. I think it's a good idea to maybe set a timer for five minutes and have everyone go around the space and gather elements that they love. So this could be really anything. It could be jewelry, clothing, family heirlooms, pictures, plants, anything that you feel like is an aesthetic expression of you or your family or the group of people that are going to be in the space, whoever it is. And don't think about it too much. I think that it's really important that this comes from a little bit of an intuitive place where if you just have um, a scarf that you really love that you always gravitate towards and it just makes you happy, grab the scarf, you know? Once you've got everything assembled and um, everybody's kind of got all their things together, clear off a table and organize all of the items neatly on the table. I think that it's important, especially if you're doing this with a group, but even if you're doing it by yourself, to take some time and explain why you selected the items you did. So there may be some kind of sentimentality to some of the items, but there may also just be, you don't know why you like it. You just like it. It's green and your favorite color is green and you just like it <laughs> and that's okay. Um, as you start to assemble everything, I think it's always nice to maybe stand on a chair and take a picture from above the table to get a flat perspective of all of the items that you've chosen. And it can be really nice to refer back to this again and again and again through the design process. So this is really creating a story of who you are and what your design style is. What are the things that you love? And from here, you'll be able to start to pull out a couple of big ideas. Like, are you seeing any initial color palettes? Do you see maybe some repetitive materials, like a lot of wood, a lot of metal? What kind of textures are you seeing? Are you seeing things with a lot of softness to them? Are you seeing a little bit more rough textures? Are you seeing a lot of grays? Make those kinds of observations and write them down so you can have them as you move forward. And this is just really important because it allows you to get a sense of what your personal style is without having to buy anything, without necessarily using aspirational images of exciting hotels that aren't necessarily what your space is really going to look like. This is working with what you have to really extract what it is that you love. And you'll be able to look at this when you're considering maybe making a new purchase, buying new furniture, that kind of thing, and see, does it fit in with the story I've created for myself already? And you'll be able to say yes or no. And so this is really helpful to just keep you on track with a general design aesthetic without having to do anything new. 
the next step is taking stock of what you already have. As the old adage goes, a business that doesn't take a regular inventory usually goes broke. The beginning of this process has been made super popular over the last few years, sorting, purging, and only keeping what you love. This is incredibly popular right now, and I don't need to do a deep dive into that process, although I do recommend doing it. What's really helpful when you're beginning to design your space is actually logging what you have, literally writing it all out. Having it floating around in your head is not enough and actually taking up valuable real estate in your mind. All of these steps are part of a guide that we're creating that will carry you through the journey of making your home. Okay, get out another piece of paper, maybe the next page in your notebook after your design committee matrix, and write down what you have. And this includes pieces of furniture. This includes rooms. It might even include cabinetry. And you're just going to list it all out. And then you're going to go back through and make the decision if you want to keep or get rid of each piece. So for the pieces that you want to keep, you might want to write a little description of why you're keeping it. Maybe it's your great grandma's wood bench. Maybe it's your comfy gray sofa that you're in love with and can't get rid of. But write it down and any pieces that you're going to get rid of, make a plan for getting rid of them. If it's in decent condition, don't throw it away. Definitely schedule someone to come and pick it up, donate it, recycle it, be responsible. If you want to include a little picture or doodle of the items you are keeping, I think as a visual person, that's super helpful. And now that you've gone through everything, what's going to be really helpful is that it'll highlight gaps or the needs in what you already have. And this allows you to see what it is you actually need. So if you're perusing pictures of lamps on the internet, but your inventory shows you already have five lamps, all of which you intend to keep, it's a good indicator that maybe you should switch your focus to something else, like a coffee table that you don't have. And this can be done with furniture, but it can also be done with room types. So if you have maybe a storage room that you think you don't need anymore, note that and note that maybe you want to turn it into an office instead. This will really help you get an understanding of the overall scope of your project. You can really start to itemize things. So now you understand that you have six pieces of furniture that you need to buy and one room that you want to change completely. Or maybe you realize that you can work with everything you have and you want to just do a couple quick DIY projects and that'll be that. Either way, Doing this will really help you get a good understanding of the work ahead. So let's talk about time because all of these exercises are meant to save you time. If you get started in the design process and you don't have clearly defined goals, it's easy to get lost and sidetracked and even have the project stall because of unforeseen circumstances. 
If you don't know who your design committee is and someone pops their head in with a new opinion, you might feel like you have to start from scratch. So these exercises should help you move forward, but we're still going to have to create a timeline to get realistic about when this can be completed. So using the inventory we did, you can take your scope list, the list of everything you want to do for the project, and begin to work backwards from there. Think about if you have any dates in your future that you must have a completed space by. Maybe you have to have your dining room ready for the holidays. Maybe you have a family member moving in with you and you want to be ready for when they arrive. Get out a calendar and mark that date down. Next, figure out when you can actually really dive into working on your space. You might be really excited to get started, but you're going on vacation for two weeks, so you can't really begin until you get back. After that, look at each item in your scope list and assign an amount of time to it. This should include the time that it takes for you to select what you want, include shipping time, any installation or assembly that you might be doing. Be realistic about how much time you can devote to working on each task outside of your day-to-day -day life. You may only be able to focus on it every other weekend if you're busy doing other things, which we all are. If you happen to be working with a contractor, they will do this for anything that falls in their court. Then, Add everything up and see where it gets you. If you have eight weeks worth of work and you can start in two weeks, where will you be in 10 weeks? Does that meet your goal? If it does, great. But if it doesn't, what you'll have to do is prioritize the items that will fit into your overall timeline that are the most pertinent to meeting your goal and all of the other items that would take up extra time and make you not meet your goal, but you still want to do, you can throw those into what we like to call phase two or the next round of the project, and you can make an additional schedule for that. It requires you to prioritize what really has to happen and what might be more of a nice to have. I would also recommend taking about 10 to 20 percent of the overall time that you've come up with and adding on a little bit extra just as wiggle room. So if you've got a week worth of work, give yourself an extra day or so just in case. Things, things never go 100% according to plan. So part of planning is giving yourself room for mistakes, miscalculations, global pandemics. I don't know. I hope this was helpful. And I really want to empower you to get started on your projects and move forward in a clear way. If you liked this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe, and I'll see you next time.